It was a beautiful day in Santa Barbara, California. When I went into somebody's backyard, a beautiful backyard, and met up with John Stott and his assistant at the time, David Jones, a good friend of mine. The year was 2005. The same year, John Stott was awarded a spot on Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World list. Little did I know then, this would be John Stott's final interview. What did we talk about? Well, we talked a lot about birds. He was a bird watcher. Hi, I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Great Stories podcast. Today, we're going deep into our archives to one of my favorite conversations in the past 20 years. John Stott was a twitcher or a bird watcher. My wife is too. And that's what we talked about before getting down to business for our radio interview, which I'm about to share with you now. At the culmination of his long life of ministry, we kept the conversation going around what we both agreed to be at the center of basic Christianity, Jesus and the scriptures. I know you'll be blessed by these parting words with one of the last century's spiritual giants. Let's get started. We're visiting in a garden here in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, I'm Charles Morris with Dr. John Stott. And uh, Dr. Stott, may I call you John? Please do, brother. Thank you for being on Haven today. We are an American program, so uh, I'll even call you John here as we go ahead. <laughs> Feel free, I'm quite used to it. <laughs> Let's talk about your view of the world. It's a Christian view, of course. Many people, many of our listeners would have read your books through the years. As you look at the church today around the world, the global church, what do you see? <laughs> what, what encourages you, but perhaps what bothers you at the same time? Well, what a question to ask, if one can generalize about these things, but I think I can. My immediate reaction is that the, the world Christian scene is a paradox. It's a paradox of growth without depth. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, there is this extraordinary church growth, not in every country of the world, but in many countries of Africa, Asia, and Latin America. As you know, the church is growing phenomenally. I think explosion would not be too dramatic a word to, ex to, uh, to use. Mm -hmm. I remember listening some years ago to one of the experts in church, church uh, growth uh, who said that in a recent 15-year period, 30 million Christians had been added to the churches of Africa. Mm. And he went on to say that it took Europe a thousand years to add 15, uh, 30 million. And what uh, Europe did in a thousand years, Africa did in 15. My so that's goodness. the explosion. Yes. But then there's another side. Can I go on? I mean, please, there's another please side to yes. the paradox. And that is that marvelous as the statistical growth is, and much as I rejoice in it as much as anybody else, um, it, there is a superficiality almost everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's evangelism without discipleship. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe that God wants his church to grow, not only in size, but in depth. Mm -hmm. So, 
Growth without depth is the simple three-word paradox that I would use for the situation today. Do you think this is something that has just been slowly building, or has this been something that uh, is perhaps just the last few years? Well, I suppose I know the last few years better than I know any previous generations, but I would not say that it's something unusual that's happened. Okay. I think it is a tendency, because after all we see it in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. We see that the apostles of Jesus writing their letters are always complaining about <laughs> the superficiality of the churches. Yes, they were, mm -hmm. yes. Let me, this may be an unnatural marker, but let me put a division here. There's the church around the world and then there's the Western church. Uh, what do you see as good or what do you see as bad about the Western church? And get on your soapbox, say whatever you will. <laughs> I think I need to say what is bad rather than what is good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is bad in the Western church? Well, if I can uh, summon my wits, I think we have to look back about 250 years to the beginning of the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm when a number of well-known deist philosophers mounted a frontal attack on the Christian church. And the church, again, if I can generalize, was feeble enough to mm -hmm. give in to that attack. And ever since then, because the church, I think, lost the battle at that time, ever since then, the graphs have been going steadily down or church mem numbers of church membership and so on in and the West. Some of these, uh, some of these deists were even wearing the cloak of the clergy. They were, they were ministers of the gospel, yes, supposedly. One or two presidents of the United States as well. Yes, that's right. They would have called themselves enlightened Christians, but yeah. they really didn't know Jesus as their savior. I suppose Jefferson is the, the main example. Isn't Thomas it? Jefferson, yes. He rewrote the New Testament didn't right. he, on two occasions, or the Gospels, was it? Yes. Eliminating all references to miracle. Mm. But you think that kind of tracing it back 250 years yeah. to the Enlightenment, that still is influencing the church in the West today? Well, I'm afraid I think it is. Mm -hmm. I think still thinking people, at least in the West that I know, which is Europe rather than America, mm -hmm. um, thinking people have dismissed the church. Uh, they just don't believe that it has anything to say today. It's to me, it's very embarrassing, mm -hmm. uh, but that is the situation. And you think Christianity, I, I would see this more as an American in the United States of America, North America, uh, I, I would see perhaps a dumbing down of religion, to, of Christianity, to, 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 to be able to reach more people, but right. yet you're not necessarily reaching people no. with the truth always, are you? That's correct, and you did uh, mention, I think, earlier in our conversation the difference between churchianity and true, authentic Christianity. And what you and I mean by being a Christian is having come to a personal commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. And in Christendom around the world, uh, often that is not the case. Mm -hmm. 
Our guest here on Haven today is Dr. John Stott. He's in the United States right now. We're in a, a beautiful garden in Santa Barbara, perhaps a bit like the Garden of Eden, but <laughs> we could look forward to a nicer garden in days ahead for those of us heading to heaven. Uh, John, what is your passion? Do you mind my saying how old you are right now? No, not at all. I'm in my 83rd year. You're in your 83rd year, and uh, you're still working very hard, that I know. <laughs> What is your passion? What has your passion for the kingdom been through these last several decades of your ministry? Well, I think the answer probably is uh, university and college students. Maybe because I became a Christian when I was a student, yes. just on 17 years old. And uh, I wasn't really helped in some ways to grow into maturity in Christ. Um, I hesitate, you can tell I'm hesitating to say that because I did have some wonderful helpers, but I had many intellectual problems. I was, I suppose, mm -hmm. to some degree a thinking person, mm -hmm. and it worried me that I couldn't get answers to some of these questions. So this has led me, I think, in my concern to develop a ministry to students, mainly in my case with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. All over the world. I think, I've never actually totted them up, but I think I've had the privilege of leading 50 university, one-week university missions mm -hmm. in, in uh, universities, again, as you say, all over the world. And in addition to that, just the traveling to countries and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and individual meetings and, and uh, the Lausanne Evangelism right. Conference yeah. and that you've been part of and, uh, and actually helped to draft, uh, uh, I think, uh, the document. Yeah. That's right. Uh, why students? Why is that an important way uh, to, to, to reach people with the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Mm. Well, the obvious answer is that the students of today are the opinion formers of tomorrow, mm -hmm. just as the opinion formers of today were the students of yesterday. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, so when one is talking with a student, one is talking to somebody who is already a leader. Students are already, I mean, they bring down governments in different parts of the world. <laughs> students have enormous power. But in addition to that, we are handling a person who is going to have a great influence, probably, in his or her own circle in days to come. <laughs> so I long that we should win these students when they are in their student years mm -hmm. when their philosophy has not yet been formulated, mm -hmm. when they are open to listen to the credentials of Christianity, mm -hmm. if they're thoughtfully presented. Would you say it's true, I've always heard this, that the older one gets, the harder it is to meet Christ? I think that is so, again, as a generalization. Mm -hmm. Although there are notable exceptions of people who've come to Christ in later years. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, people in their te before and during their teens and in their early twenties, if they haven't yet formulated their beliefs, they are open, they are malleable. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's get them when they're young. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, if someone were sitting here with us in this garden right now and, uh, and they didn't know Christ as their Savior uh, and you could say anything to them, what would you say to them? <laughs> oh, I would talk about Jesus, of course, without doubt. Christianity is Christ. I'm not 
concerned so much to defend a, a system, mm -hmm. but I'm concerned to promote Christ, to uplift him. And I've often said, I think it is true, that you could describe many students in the world today as friendly to Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. but hostile to the church. Mm -hmm. And they're hostile to the church because they see in the church a dichotomy between its founder and the church itself. Um, so the church doesn't live up to uh, its founder. So when talking to students, I, I don't think I've ever come across a student who doesn't have at least a sneaking admiration for Jesus. So I'd want to talk about him. Isn't that interesting? There are many, many people that think they have to win someone to mm -hmm. Christ or uh, argue them into the kingdom, mm -hmm. but I'm not hearing that from you. Well, I believe in arguing people into the kingdom. I notice that the apostles of Jesus, especially as Paul is yes. described by Luke in the Acts, mm -hmm. we find them arguing. We, and at the end of uh, one of their missions, Luke writes, so many people were persuaded. Mm -hmm. Well, we never use that word. We mm -hmm. say, thank God, there were a hundred people converted. Mm -hmm. We never say thundered people persuaded or convinced, but the apostles did. Mm -hmm. And Paul summed up his evangelistic ministry in three words, we persuade people in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So even though you said a moment ago, it's, it's, it's not a system that you're trying to impose on someone, you want to lead them to Christ, there is this concept of persuasion that Absolutely. is important. Of persuading them that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the only Savior. The only Savior of the world, right. Mm. What are you doing today? What are you Enjoying doing with this your time? garden? Yes, we are. <laughs> Hoping that a hummingbird might fly by. Yes, you are, you've been a bird watcher. I, I know that for am. sure. Yes. And I love hummingbirds. Yes. What, what uh, are you writing? I understand you're still writing quite a bit. I've just had a book published in the UK, which is about to be published in, I think, November in the US, called Why I Am a Christian. That sounds you, like a John Stott title, I think. <laughs> well, you may remember that Bertrand Russell, that brilliant Nobel Peace Prize winner uh, and philosopher, wrote a book called Why I Am Not a Christian. Ah. So this is not exactly a point-by-point -point rebuttal of... Uh, but you uh, had that book in mind. I had that book in mind. Well, we'll look And I've it. given six or seven reasons why I'm a Christian. So it is. It's, uh, it's a mildly evangelistic book, mm -hmm. an attempt to commend Christ. Mm -hmm. I see. A little while ago when we were visiting, I asked you what your most important book was, and you said it was the book on the cross, which came out ten years ago or so. Why do you think that's your most important book? Well, I think two reasons. The first is that it is the most important subject. Mm -hmm. The cross of Christ is the center of Christianity. The center of Christianity is not the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. It's not even the resurrection, mm -hmm. important, vital as that is. But it is the cross. God forbid that I should glory in anything except in the cross, the Apostle Paul wrote. Mm -hmm. So the cross is the center, and that's why I think the book about it is the most important. And the second is, because the cross is so central in my own thinking and living, mm -hmm. uh, more of my heart and mind have gone into the writing of that book than into any other. 
It is, if you like, my apologia. It's my, the defense of why I, I am a Christian and what I believe about the very essence of the Christian faith. Let me ask you one more question. Um, what do you think about grace? What does, what does grace mean to you? And, and on our radio program, Haven Today, I talk about Christians needing grace every day. Non-Christians need to discover grace for the first time. <laughs> what do you think about grace? Well, I love the story about D.L. Moody, that he'd been studying grace in his concordance, you know, for a few days or weeks. and was so excited about it when he'd finished that he ran out into the street and hailed the first person he met, said, do you know grace? To which, of course, he got the reply, Grace, who? Right. Yes. Yes. Well, how should we define grace? Grace is the, un, the free and unmerited favor of God. Grace is God's love, undeserved, unsolicited. We cannot even contribute to grace. Grace is God's free offer of salvation in Christ. And it's not only at the beginning of the Christian life, but all through the Christian life, we are dependent on God's grace, his free and unmerited favor. So do let's get rid of the idea that we have to earn our salvation. Mm -hmm. We cannot even contribute to our salvation. William Temple, the great archbishop, once said, the only thing of my very own, which I contribute to my redemption, is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. It's a marvelous little epigram. Yes. That's our only contribution. It's all free. At this point in your life, uh, in your 83rd year, does, uh, does grace get sweeter every year? Well, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but yes, I think I can say that. I think I can appreciate theologically more and more that everything originates in grace. And I think in my own experience that I need to come back to God every day for the forgiveness of my sins and for a fresh empowerment. And these things are all grace. Mm. Yeah. Grace alone. Grace alone. Thank you. John Stott. We, we, we're told that people listening to Christian radio in North America, of those listening, uh, George Barna, who lives very near the garden where we are right now, uh, says that about a third of the people that listen to Christian radio don't know Christ as their Savior. Would you mind leading us in prayer and leading some people listening right now? Just would you I pray would love for them? To. Yes, Thank let's you. pray. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and we want to pray for friends and others whom we don't even know who are seeking and searching and have not yet found you. We want to pray that your Holy Spirit will open the eyes of their understanding so that they may see the truth as it is in Jesus and may come to put their trust in him as their Savior, their Lord and their God. We pray for them with, we bring them to you in the arms of our love. In Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. This conversation was recorded in 2005. It originally aired on our daily radio program, Haven Today. If you want to hear more conversations like this, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can 
Also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. Thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Thank you.